In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many to produce a relatively listenable podcast. Devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Oh, okay. no, <laughs> They're puppets. No, and <laughs> Muppets is, are puppets. This is kind of <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulkbuster Hulk armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cinesnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 102 of the Cinesnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. And I'm Cody Viafania. So, uh... It's uh, Monday, uh, the day after our normal recording day, but uh, yesterday a big uh, sad day for the film world, uh, losing two uh, older uh, generation icons uh, in the same day with uh, George A. Romero, director and actor Martin Landau. Uh, I, I assume you saw the, the tributes pouring out all day on Twitter and Facebook for those two. Yeah, definitely, especially with Romero, who sort of really fits the icon status in terms of, you know, what he did for horror movies. And um, it, obviously his influences have been seen just throughout horror for the past, you know, what, 30 years? Well, uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead was released in 1969, I believe, so it's getting damn near close to 50 years. Uh, Night of the Living Dead is, is interesting in that it is uh, the, like a, a uh, like a clerical error um, made it uh, without not the the studio that released it I can't remember what studio didn't release it didn't put a copyright date on the print so it immediately it immediately went into public domain so that's mm, why there's, that. there's so so many different versions of, of Night of the Living Dead on Blu-ray on DVD and, and all kinds of stuff like that. It's supposedly the most downloaded legal movie on the internet because it's free. I did not know that. But yeah, uh, Romero essentially created the um, modern zombie genre. Um, I, I was never terribly familiar with his work. I mean, of course, I've seen Night of, Night of the Living. Excuse me, Night of the Living Dead. But I know he had uh, tons of follow-ups that um, that I never really uh, latched onto. But. Uh, you know, by all by all accounts, he was he was pretty influential and pretty in, uh, invested in spending time with his fans. I think he was probably one of the the original horror icons that would go to these conventions and things. Uh, I had a lot of friends that were, you know, posting photos of when they met him and when they you know got him to sign something and, and things like that. Oh yeah, I saw lots of that. Um, and uh and yeah i i wasn't too familiar either cuz obviously i'm not a big horror guy but um but clearly you know you realize how influential his stuff has been and even stuff that i love like Shaun of the dead which is very heavily influenced by romero so you know well, yeah and, i think any anything zombie is it owes its existence to george romero yeah and i saw a lot of stuff from from you know people talking about you know especially since get out was such a big movie this year people pointing to night of the living dead as a huge influential factor 
to that movie and even Jordan Peele like tweeting about it and stuff. Yeah, um let me see what uh what other stuff did he do? Uh I know he did uh, several different like I don't know if they were sequels or just sort of in the same spirit. Oh, uh, you know, something of the dead, Night of the Living Dead. Um let's see, let's look at his director credits. His most recent film was Survival of the Dead that he directed. Um he of course did Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead. Uh, <laughs> apparently, a TV movie documentary called O.J. Simpson: Juice on the Loose from 1974. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow! Anyway, um, yeah, and and followed up uh, later on yesterday by uh, Martin Landau, who I uh, became familiar with um, after seeing Ed Wood, which is is still by far my favorite Tim Burton movie. Uh, a movie that he won an Academy Award for for his portrayal of uh, Bela Lugosi. Yes. Um, as he was uh, kind of uh, in the downward swing of his life, uh, addicted to heroin when he met up with uh, Ed Wood in this movie played by Johnny Depp. And uh, most famously was cast in a, um, a film uh, called Plan 9 from Outer Space that has the distinction of being kind of popularly known as the worst movie ever made and he dies i think a week into shooting it and he's replaced by a guy that's covering his face with a cape the whole time mm. one, of the, one of the uh, one of the things i i, I was familiar with ed wood, ed wood movies from mystery science theater 3000 and about uh two or three months ago i saw a performance by the mads which is trace Boyou and frank conniff from mystery science theater 3000 and they live riffed a movie called glenn or glenda uh, that's also an Ed Wood movie. I don't know if you're familiar with this movie, but it's it's about um, you know a, a, a transvestite uh, man, and it's it's fairly progressive for a movie that was made you know 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Uh, but Bella Lugosi is in that as a narrator, and it makes no fucking sense. Like he's like some mystical like horror narrator for this film, and it's clearly. Clearly, Ed Wood just wanted him to uh, to to be there. You know, there was no particular reason. I don't know why I'm talking about Bella Lugosi so much when this is about Martin Landau. But anyway, well, my I'm almost afraid to tell you what my first exposure to him was. Is it Baps? No. Is it that shitty Pinocchio with JTT? No, it gets worse. Oh, whoa! Okay, tell me. It's <laughs> ready to rumble. <laughs> the uh the WCW movie with David Arquette and James Caan? I'm very familiar. Or Scott Caan, sorry. Yes, uh, Scott Caan, yes. I'm very familiar with it. I, that I believe that was probably one of the the first pre- well it was early in my press screening days when I would dabble in that stuff. Um I saw Ready to Rumble and I remember I got a poster from it, a one sheet and I I think I threw it away. I didn't like the movie, but I, I don't remember who he played in Ready to Rumble. He played like a like an old wrestling trainer. Okay, yeah, that's right. That was like his his post Ed Wood resurgence, where he was in crap like Baps, and uh, he was also in the X Files movie, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, excuse me, I I was looking at his credits, and I remembered this from my days of working at Albertsons. There was a live action Pinocchio. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah, of course. Jonathan? Okay, you, you it's it's my it. first memory of crying at a movie. The J the JTT Pinocchio. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And he played Geppetto in that movie. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so two two older legends gone, I guess you would say. Um, you know, I, I wasn't it's extremely familiar with Landau before Ed Wood. I know he was in a show called Space 1999 and, uh, of course, the original Mission Impossible, but anyway that's i guess we're probably i'm probably a little too young still even at my old age to have really appreciated either of those two guys all the way yeah me too i guess unless you're super into zombies or something or or you're the guy that's going to go back and watch space 1999 like some weirdo but hey ready to rumble that that's a movie you know <laughs> i it certainly exists as a movie yes you know uh the last time i saw david arquette was on uh, Celebrity Name Game. Mm-hmm. And you know him and C- Courtney Cox are the executive producers of that show? Yes. Oh, you're, oh yeah, because you're a Craig Ferguson guy, so you knew that. I am, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I feel bad for Craig Ferguson. In what way? In that, like, he walked away on principle and, like, I mean, he's doing okay. Like, he's not doing poorly or anything, but, you know, when Conan <laughs> walked away on principle, like, it became a... He well, it wasn't megastar. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't the same situation, but but it wasn't really on principle. He just got tired of doing the show. I thought he, I thought he wanted the 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 late show. Game. No, he wanted nothing to do with it. He he oh, did really? not want it. Yeah, I thought, but so I thought that was part of the contract, though. No, I don't think I don't think that was the case because David Letterman owns his own show. So David Letterman is the one who picks. He so David Letterman owns that show, and he also owns the show after it. Um, but Letterman doesn't own the Late Show anymore, right? Right. So it was transferring from Worldwide Pants to whatever was next. So, so it was it was in the uh, the hands of the of CBS, and, and Ferguson did not want it. Um, mm. And so he was he was tired of doing the show and wanted to switch. And you know, so like even they do interviews with him now where he says he does not miss the show at all. What's with people leaving that show and just like just wanting to leave it? And not moving I, on to something else. Like, that's I don't, the second host in a row. I don't know. Craig, Craig Ferguson, like, fell off the face of the earth. And then uh, Craig Ferguson. You mean Craig Kilborn? Did I say Craig Ferguson? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Craig Kilborn fell off the face of the earth. Yeah, remember when Craig Kilborn tried to come back on Fox very, very briefly? Yeah. In was, certain markets? Yeah, I actually saw that. Um, it was him and, uh, like, Christine Lakin from... Uh, from uh, what was that show with uh, Step by Step? Do you remember that? Yeah. Is that before your time? No. Uh, she was like his co-host or something. Hmm. Did, you, did, you, did you not watch? The- I didn't. No, I didn't. Oh, I, okay. I don't think it played in San Antonio. It did because I saw it. It was like the Kilborn file or something. It was, it was basically his daily show like repurposed. I think it was a half. I mean, it was it was fine. I mean, it wasn't going to do any. It wasn't terrible or anything, but it was just like, dude, you walked away. Why'd you? Why are you coming back? Sort of situation. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. And then, and then Ferguson did. You know, he's on Sirius XM now doing a show that I don't know that's making any mark at all. But <laughs> uh, I don't know that anything on Sirius XM really makes a mark these days. You don't just you just don't hear about satellite radio, and it's not really advertised anywhere. Like it's it's just this weird thing that kind of exists, 
and they have money that they're throwing at it clearly, but I just don't know how. I, I'm I have a satellite radio and I love it, but I mean I don't listen to much beyond the Comedy Central channels and some music channels. I mean, I know they did just fire um, uh, Opie from Opie, whatever it was called now. Opie Radio used to be yeah. Opie and Opie and Jim and Opie and Anthony. Well, no, Opie and Opie and Jim split up, so it was just Opie yeah. Radio. Well, right, but it was Opie and Jim most recently before yeah. it was just Opie Radio, and I never listened to that stuff anyway. But I do listen to the uh, a show called The Bonfire on uh, Comedy Central Radio. I enjoy that quite a bit. That's probably the same sort of spirit as Opie and Anthony or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, God, we got off on a fucking weird tangent. As we always do. <laughs> anyway, uh, anything else to talk about before we move on to reviews? I know we're we're both about to head to see uh, uh, another movie that's sure to be a disaster. Yeah, and I saw a great one today yeah, I know. That, you're, that you haven't seen yet. I know. That's really bothersome to me that you got to see it early, but... Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. This week we've got War for the Planet of the Apes. Have you finally come to save your apes? I came for you. For me. After suffering a great personal loss, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his kind. So, uh, this movie I saw about a month ago. Yeah. You saw over the weekend um, the conclusion to the modern uh, Planet of the Apes trilogy, prequel trilogy, I guess you would call it. Uh, movies that, that I know that we both liked quite a bit. I, I know I probably didn't like rise as much as you did but i think dawn is pretty close to a perfect movie perfect I'm, blockbuster i'm actually cooler on both of those than i think really yeah i thought, we, I thought you but maybe it was kiko that loved dawn also but yeah kiko loved dawn i liked dawn a lot i didn't love it and rise is okay i was yeah, not rise is okay. i'm fine with rise but but dawn i thought was a damn near fantastic film mm-hmm. so uh what did you think of War for the Planet of the Apes. So I, um, yeah. So so Dawn is 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 really good um, uh, overall, and I, I I think that it's my opinion that Dawn is probably the best of the series. Um, I think that it has a really good match of tone and, and memorability. Um, 
that that makes it the best of the series. So War is is good. Um, I think that the the way that I described it was that War is a good movie with great moments, but I don't know that it's a great movie all around for me. Um, you know, obviously Andy Circus is is the reason to go see these things. Is you know the the motion capture stuff is is just on another level incredible and just you know I was I was sort of struck this time by how much Caesar looks like Andy Circus in this one. Um, I don't know necessarily that it was different, but you can definitely see the very detailed facial expressions in, in his face, yeah. um, in, in Caesar. Um, I think that it, so it does something that, that, um, that, uh, that Don did, which was, it spends a lot of time with the apes and the apes are the main characters of the movie. Um, I don't, I don't think that Woody Harrelson even shows up in this movie until like half an hour in, it feels like. Um, um, like proper, like speaking role. Yeah, like he's he he has a you know a pretty major presence in, in the beginning, but then yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, and I think that the scene with the apes are alternatively great and then pretty good. Um, I think that there's a there's a good storyline going on with Caesar in this one in terms of he's very vengeful and he finds himself seeking violence after promoting peace basically early on. Um, and, uh, it really does feel like a tale of a few different movies. Like it's part revenge, part war, part prison escape. And I think the prison escape is the best part of the movie. Um, there's some really great sequences, um, trying as, as sort of like a prison break type, uh, type thing. Um, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a secondary character here who I've, I, I feel like is going to be a little bit um, divisive in, in Bad Ape, who is played by Steve Zahn, um, because I feel like that the character is introduced in a very slapsticky way, and I think there's some legitimate laughs there, but it really kind of butts heads with the, the tone of these movies, which is very, very serious and very dark. Um, and I, I think it ca- that it's, I disagree that it's slapsticky when he's like fumbling around trying to find the thing, the Nova thing. I, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's slapsticky. I mean, it's definitely comical, but slapsticky, I, I think slapsticky is too far. I think it's goofy. I'll, I'll, I'll give you goofy. Yeah. Goofy ish. Goofy. Yeah. Okay. Watch, watch yourself counselor. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Oh, so um, I was thinking I, John Mulaney. Sorry. Oh, that's a good. That's a good reference. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Um, but yeah, it. it <laughs> that's a good joke. That's my favorite John Mulaney joke. But anyway. Yeah, I will. I love how before that he goes and Dean Cain was a rapist on the show, and he has to. Is that Dean Cain? <laughs> anyway, um, we digress. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's solid. I think that there's some good thematic elements in there too. Um, I think that I, I have a few problems with Woody Harrelson's character. Um, I think it's it's a little extreme in terms of how far they take his his uh, his commitment to the cause. I guess you could say. Um, I think there's great work here. From from again, Andy Circus. I think that it's the tone is is really well uh, executed. Other than you know some of the bad ape stuff, I don't feel like it transcends into greatness at any point. But I feel like it's really solid. 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm higher on this movie than you are. I, I think it is um, not as quite exhilaratingly. Uh, what am I trying to say? Is is exhilaratingly good as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes of the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was. Um, this is a much more intimate movie than I was expecting. And I think probably a lot of people are expecting, you know, you call the movie war for the planet of the apes and really it's kind of a, it's a remake, not a remake, but a, a take on uh, something like the searchers. Are you familiar with the searchers? Uh, no, it's a, it's a John Wayne movie where it's basically just this kind of long revenge tale like this, you know, this guy's looking for someone, you know, um, you know, but I, I do think that that's sort of the calling card of Matt Reeves as a director. It's, it's taking big, big budget or big, uh, big ideas and making them super intimate. I think that's what Matt Reeves does best. Yeah, and and, and you know this is pretty much a uh, a, uh, a an allegory for current times. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a you know symbolic wall being built. Uh, you know that by you know to keep out something that that's just going to trap in danger. Um, it doesn't feel like um, I, I think the one thing that doesn't feel right to me is the ending. Uh, if I had one complaint about it, I feel like the ending is a little pat for something like this. Um, but but overall, I, I loved it. I don't think it's as as good as as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was. And I need to go back and rewatch that because I feel like maybe that was just kind of a refreshing like holy shit moment. Because I because I found that movie to be so much better than Rise because I think Rise is kind of goofy and I think Rise is really undone by humans getting stupid in the last you know the climactic battle uh, you know the, all of a sudden like no one knows how to use a gun and, and and things like that but I you know some of the some of the things in this movie the prison break thing uh, is fantastic and one thing that we haven't talked about yet is the score by Michael Giacchino uh, when I saw this movie. Oh God, it literally has been a month ago now. Uh, that was the one thing that that was the biggest thing people were raving about. Uh, if you looked at Twitter, the people that had seen it, we were still embargoed for reviews. But the the big thing was this Michael Giacchino score. And I think that piece uh, during the prison break is probably my favorite piece of music this whole year so far. Yeah, And probably the it's really probably after Ray's theme in uh, The Force Awakens. The only piece of music from film I can like conjure up in my head, uh, probably from the last five years, uh, it's that good. Um, and it, you know, it, it hit iTunes last Friday, and I've been listening to it in the car since then. Um, you know, I, I disagree with you. Like I said on Bad Ape, I think Steve Zahn is fantastic. Uh, I, I think it's it's probably, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think that this movie is. I don't think the movies are as dour as they, you know, they don't need to be as dour as you might appreciate they are. I don't know if that sentence made sense, but I think that the comic relief is, is okay. I think it's fine. I don't think it's over the top. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I think probably the, the biggest uh, revelation for me in this film was the, uh, the character of Maurice, uh, the big orangutan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of, right-hand man to Caesar. Um, that character is fantastic. Uh, and it, you know, it, it speaks like three lines in the whole movie. Uh, it's, it communicates with sign language. And that's another thing. The movie is, 
is a lot of just apes talking to each other in sign language with subtitles. Like this is a big summer movie and this is, this is how it, it's playing out. And I think it's, you know, it, it's a testament to the, the chances that someone like Matt Reeves will take. And that's why I feel like the Batman is in good hands, you know? Well, especially now that it's been confirmed that they're rewriting it from scratch. And I don't know if you've been reading anything about what Matt Reeves wants to do with it, but you know, he's he saying that like a detective movie, right? Yeah. He said he wants to make it like a Hitchcockian, you know, sort of really intimate character study. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is what War for the Planet of the Apes was. It was an intimate character movie. Like there's really one big battle and it's not – doesn't even really ha- – nothing really happens. You know? What there's did you like, think – what did you think about the function of the child in the movie? I, I thought she was fine. I mean it's it's a nod to the, the later – you know the – well, the movies that chronologically I guess come after this. But I, I liked her. I liked, uh, you know, the the humanity – you know, that the apes showed while the, the rest of the world was falling apart. I, you know, it, it's maybe a little too simplistic, you know, that, that there's, uh, there, there appear to be about 200 humans left on the world, in the world at this point. I just don't know that that storyline ever really paid off, um, or had sort of like a metaphorical meaning that was. Well, well have you seen the, the marketing for this film that plays up that character uh, way bigger than she had yeah. any role in the film. And it's, it's odd to me because it's, it's kind of just a, it's, it's a more of a humanizing thing. It's, she's not really a plot point and I'm fine with that, but the movie, the marketing seems to want to make her a plot point. And I think maybe that's where some disconnect lies. Cause it feels like she should be a bigger deal maybe, but uh, right. I, don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I still really enjoy the movie. So what's your grade for War for the Planet of the Apes? I'm going to give it a B, a solid B. I'm going to go B+. Plus. It's not a, it's not quite the revelation that uh, Dawn was, but I still really, really liked it. And I still, no matter what, there's a couple notes. Um, oh. First and foremost, motion capture performances should be considered acting performances on the level of anything else that anyone can do. Um the fact that Andy Serkis wasn't nominated for Rise is crazy. I'm sorry, for Dawn. Um, because that is an incredible performance and it's and I don't think he's as good in this one, but because I think that Dawn was just like stunningly great of a performance. Um, but it should be considered on par with that. And also I think that that Matt Reeves is just a really, really good filmmaker. I, and I feel like I feel like he's very under the radar. Uh, and, and yeah, it seems weird to say, but because like, you know, this is this is two super solid films in a row uh, in a series that's taking chances. Yes. You know, that's the thing. Uh, yep. It, it's not it's not, you know, you know, easy, you know, just sort of crank them out Marvel stuff. I mean, this is a thing. This, like I said, this is a movie that spends half the fucking screen time focused on apes sign using uh, sign language to communicate with one another. I mean that's a fucking bold move for a, a summer tentpole movie, uh, and you know this is a director that 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 uh, I, I think that you know I couldn't be more pleased with the choice of him for the Batman, which is a movie that I I want to really I want to to be a, a knockout. But uh, honestly, if the, if you're gonna pick someone who's doing 
uh, blockbuster movies on that caliber and you really want to make like a like a, a high quality film, you can't really choose much better than someone who's really going to focus on the story because you can say whatever you want about any of the movies that he's made, Cloverfield, Let Me In, and then these two movies. They have all been heavily character-driven and super narratively focused, period. Like that's just what he does best. And so... You know, I don't think he's going I, – I have a feeling, and I don't know this is just speculation, but I have a feeling that, that the Batman movie is going to be the like the least amount of action ever in a Batman movie. And uh, it, would be, it would be interesting because that's a take that's never really been done outside of something like Batman the Animated Series where, where Batman's a – you know, he's a detective first. Like that's kind of the whole point of – you know, he's named – Detective Comics is named after Batman essentially, because he's the world's greatest detective. Right. Figure stuff out. And that's, you know, that's never really been uh, committed to film yet. So, you know, if, if this guy, I mean, Warner Brothers wanted Matt Reeves and they seem to have, you know, made the decision to, to write their ship, you know, as early indications point out that, you know, this is going to be something, they're going to go in a direction that's less about whatever the fuck Zack Snyder was doing and more about, a filmmaker's sort of vision, I guess. Then, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for that. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, the and and going back to the motion capture. As far as I'm concerned, these fucking apes are real. Yeah, you know that's one of those things that like it's it's gotten that good. Like these are real monkeys in my face that are talking. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember one of the biggest problems for me in the first time I saw, whenever Caesar talked for the first time, I think it was in Rise. Like he said, like one sentence or something. Yeah. That was a point where I was like, I don't know if I can get on board with this. And now Caesar (laughs) is speaking full sentences and I'm like, just watching like, yeah, okay. Like I, it's, and I think that's a testament to, to the, I guess the reality based stuff that, that Reeves is able to capture in both of those movies that he's done so far where you don't really question anything because it's so rooted in, in, in sort of, it's not raw visually, but it's it's sort of really human storytelling with non-human characters. Well, I mean, and, you're spent, you're spending time watching these apes talk to one another. You're not watching you're not watching a special effects fight. You're watching conversations between these these computer generated apes. You know, that's and that's goes a long way towards grounding it in my opinion. You know, this is it's not afraid this is a big special effects movie that's intimate as shit. You know, it doesn't, you know, whether or not you, you, you agree with all the choices that were made, this is something that's like, there's, you spend time with like three characters and they're riding through, through the snow on horseback for most of the movie. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's shockingly intimate anyway. So, uh, B for you, B plus for me. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. No ticket required. Find a comfy spot on the couch and welcome to No Ticket Required. So this is like our uh, Netflix and chill segment, right, Cody? <laughs> yeah. You yeah, I tell you whether you want a Netflix or just chill. Uh, you know, we can just kick it. Let's kick it. At some point, you need to watch some of these movies, too. Well, I've, I fucking saw the Lego movie. We talked yeah, about that's that true. last week. What are you talking about this week? So I got a couple to talk about this week. Uh, first up is Chips. Uh, oh, yeah. Chips. Yeah. So you know when you see written and directed by Dax Shepard, you're in for a treat. 
And um, it's pretty much exactly what you ex- would expect from written and directed by Dax Shepard. Um, what what does that what does that mean? I don't have a I don't have a thing against Dax Shepard personally. Like I, I think he's kind of like a, you know, he's like a a B list. Um, Look, you you may not have anything against him, but what can you name anything that you saw him in that was particularly good? That's true. You're right. I get it. Wasn't he in that Parenthood show? Or am I thinking yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. I mean, he's made two movies. The first one was Hit and Run, and then uh, – well, actually, he made three. The first one was Brothers Justice, and then Hit and Run, and now <laughs> Chips. Um, so it's, the movie is – it's so first of all, it's not unwatchable. I'll give it – that's the best thing I can say about <laughs> it. It's not unwatchable. And it, it really pains me to see someone I like as much as Michael Pena – get you know trying to do something like this you know the big take on this is that is that um ponch who is the who you know michael pena is playing eric estrada's character from the show is a sex addict like going and jerking off in bathrooms while on duty and stuff (laughs) like that's a literal plot line um and then of course uh you know dak shepherd's character is like popping pills and he's he's like injured he's like a motor like a motocross guy who's trying to be a cop and you know it's um you know it's impressive in its ability to like there's some there's some cool chase scenes in it i guess but it just doesn't the comedy doesn't hit at all um it's it's one of those things that's trying really hard to be edgy but kind of misses the mark on everything so so um, would the blueprint for this be 21 jump street um yeah i think that's fair to say i would say a a, a 21 jump street but with more um, with more like like trying to be edgy type stuff, like you know, lots of dick jokes and uh and like gross out uh sexual humor and stuff like that. Um, like it's like a segment where you know Michael Pena is carrying Dax Shepard into the into the bathroom covered in a sheet, and he steps on the sheet and puts his face plants his face into his dick and then throws him into a bathtub. You know, well, so it's like some. Uh... Some old school, like kind of gay panic stuff, huh? There is some of that in there, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's just not funny. Uh, but you know, you make a reference to this all the time, where uh, where it's like a TBS movie where they'll just show it during the day on a Saturday just to kill time. Yep. Uh, this is a classic movie that will be edited and cut to to smithereens and then put on TBS to play on like a Saturday at you know one p.m. Uh, and uh, and it will live and die there. It's like uh, Talladega Nights. It's like because I think Talladega. I mean, Talladega Nights is probably better than this movie, but Talladega Nights is literally always on TBS. Or uh, yeah, you know what? You know what else is good? Uh, FX. FX. Yeah, but shows. FX shows some pretty decent stuff, though. Well, yeah, they'll look. FX will show like all the the good X Men movies, but then they'll show fucking Grown Ups too. You know you know, three times a week. Anyway. Um, yeah, I remember chips had a big presence at, uh, South by Southwest, but they didn't screen it for critics. And I, it kind of lived and died in about a week's time. So, yeah, I remember we were there and we went into voodoo donuts that was, uh, taken over by chips and, and it wasn't free. So we left. (laughs) It's weird that they, that they throw so much like promotional weight behind something like that, 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 they've kind of earmarked for shittiness already. Right. You know, it's like there's, you know, they've paid, they're paying some, 
hot girls to run around dressed as, you know, highway patrol officers. And they're just going to bury this turd, you know, as quickly as possible. Which they totally did. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else you got? I you also give, have... Do you want to give, give a grade for chips? Oh, uh, C minus? I guess. Sounds, sounds C minus, D plus, somewhere around there. All right. You, really, you thought that out a lot. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thanks. <laughs> All right. What else you got? So uh, the other thing I have is, is an interesting movie because I think it, this was a very polarizing movie, which was uh, Free Fire. Like another movie I didn't see, but it, it has that uh, kind of like hip. It had that kind of hip blessing right away. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it – so it played at South by Southwest. Um, it played late in the festival, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, so it's I, got – yeah, it's it's got a good cast in it. You know, it's got Army Hammer, Brie Larson, uh, Cillian Murphy. Um, Charlotte Copley. Charlotte Copley, um, Jack Rayner, and then uh, a couple others. Um you know, it's. It, I I said this to someone when I was watching it, which because everyone likes to <laughs> them to talk about movies that they saw four months ago or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I was telling one of my friends, I was like, I've never seen a movie trying harder to be memorable. Um, I, it's it's sort of aping Tarantino the whole time, um, and it it's just a pale imitation where. You know, it's it's trying to be quirky and it's really not. It's trying to be funny and it's really not. Um, it really is just two, like an hour and a half of people getting flesh wounds and then cursing and then screaming at each other in the middle of a gunfight, and that's really it. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's and it's set in one location, right? Or is it? Yeah, at least most of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, and it takes place in the 70s, so you get cool costumes and stuff. But, you know, uh, it's just not memorable. Like, it really is. Like, the first 30 minutes of it, it's literally people crawling on the ground. And everyone everyone gets shot at least once with a flesh wound. And they're just all grabbing their flesh wounds and screaming at each other and insulting each other. And it's just not fun. It's trying really hard to be fun. It's trying to be memorable. And it's not. It's just – it's super repetitive and it just doesn't make any mark at all. I and, and and you can tell that they want it to be memorable. You know, they want this to be the next Tarantino flick. They want it to to be quotable and um and you're supposed to go, "Oh, these people are bitching at each other during a gunfight." Ha ha ha. And it just uh it just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I I got that vibe when I uh saw the trailers. It, it's it's one of those films that uh gets for lack of a better word, that kind of early Austin blessing. Yeah, like, this is going to be a fun uh, party movie, and uh, come see it late night. And you know, I, I not that I'm some old fuddy-duddy, but I use the word fuddy-duddy, so I guess that makes <laughs> that already answers the question there. Uh, look, it's it. I, I tell me if this is right or not. I kind of got the vibe of like a Baby Driver or a, a Mad Max Fury Road, where this is all style over substance. Yes. Is that, is that the case? Okay. Yep, absolutely. Where like, you know, if that's if that's your deal, that's fine. But, you know, it doesn't, you know, there's there's nothing really there under the hood, so to speak. No, I totally agree with that. And it wastes it wastes it, like Brie Larson is a total waste in here. Um like you like you have someone coming off an Oscar and you can't give her more to do. Like Is it bigger waste in that or Kong Skull Island? Ooh, that's a great question. Probably Kong is a bigger waste of Brie Larson. Okay. 
Um, I yeah, she just. That movie. God, I yeah, that. I'm gonna revisit it uh, next week. Oh, uh, see if there's any. There's a little tease for something coming up. Well, see, there's a movie that I've saw that I've seen. So, get off my fucking nuts. Did we talk about that on here? I think we did. I don't know. Did we do a Kong Skull Island? I don't remember. Let's, Let's see what see. Google says. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Episode ninety-seven. Oh, look at that! It was only <laughs> it was only like two months ago that movie was released, and now it's already hitting uh, home release. That's such a weird. It's I don't I don't understand releases anymore. It's like there's no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I, it doesn't make any sense ever. Yeah. I mean, I know it takes. I know it's the the window is narrowed quite a bit, but it's so bizarre to be because I'll I'll go to Target or something like shit Furious or whatever the fuck it's called Fate of the Furious. Mm-hmm. Like it's already on like Super Blu-ray. Like what the fuck? Like didn't I just see this? Time is moving so fast, Cody. I don't know what to do. Oh, you're just you're just this world silliest goose. Shut the fuck up. What's your grade for uh, Free Fire? Uh, my grade for Free, Free Fire is a. Uh, it's. <laughs> That's the same thing I did. I was like Free Fire. It's a C. A C. All right. Uh, so yeah, so you can pick those up anywhere. Blu-rays and DVDs are sold. You know, maybe uh, maybe buy them from Cody. Yeah, my, there? I don't know. My computer's playing. <laughs> I hear an ad. <laughs> All right, uh, that's gonna do it for this week. Next week, oh, we're going to Dunkirk. Oh, that's a good accent. Uh, yeah, that's we're uh, Mark Rylance. That's pretty. That's a great Rylance. You do one of the top five Mark Rylance impressions I've heard. Yeah, oh, uh, I'm the big friendly giant. No one saw that movie. Yeah, we're 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 gonna talk about Dunkirk, which I have already seen. Yes, um, you fucking bastard! I'm jealous. Yeah, right now sitting at ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, thirty five positive, one negative, and an average rating of nine out of ten. When uh, when is your embargo up? It's up. Is it is up? Oh, okay. Yep, it ended at three p.m. So you're you're ten, you're saying it's awesome. So yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty incredible. I'm Nolan, Christopher Nolan's just like when when he. Well, we'll talk about it next week, but it's it's just it's really nice to see him like like show it's the most restraint he's ever showed in a movie, which is maybe sometimes him getting too ambitious has been his downfall. I say downfall in that I think he makes great movies, but you know. Do you remember uh, when we saw Interstellar, and they only screened it for like five of us, mm-hmm. and we watched it like alone in a giant IMAX theater? Yeah. And the the mix was all fucked up, but then we found out that like that's how he wanted it. Of course, he did. What what a fucking maniac, Christopher Nolan is. Yeah, there's something really funny in this one where so Tom Hardy plays a, a pilot in the movie, and the whole time he's got on like a uh, like a like a mask, and and he's talking through the uh, the mask, and then like through to the other pilot over the radio. So he's. <laughs> like it sounds like bane all over again i'm like oh no do you remember the when that movie was the trailer for that movie came out and everybody's like i can't fucking understand what he's saying mm-hmm. and they had to yeah. change the mix yeah and they, they, they were adamant that nope they weren't going to change the mix that that was what they were going to do and then the movie comes out and then the mix is changed anyway 
Uh, we've also got Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, <laughs> that is uh, the movie we're going to see tonight. I'm seeing it on Wednesday. Oh, really? I'm seeing it tonight. I thought you had a screening tonight. No. But, um, Man, this thing, this thing has Jupiter Ascending written all over it. It's it's got a better Rotten Tomato score right now than Jupiter Ascending. Uh, it, it's it's it, I've seen some reviews that you know that like it's a, a it's a Luke Besson mess. But some people are into that. Some people aren't. Like I fucking hated Lucy. And I did you hate Lucy? I don't. Remember. Oh, I was. It's the one of the only Fs I've given in the past <laughs> ever. But uh, but uh, some people do like Lucy. So. Um, you know, he's Luke Passan is is very hit or miss. I I like something like The Fifth Element. You've seen The Fifth Element, of course, right? I have not. Really? Yeah. That's a fun, weird movie. Like that was the first time I realized. I think that was the second Luke Passan movie I saw after The Professional, mm-hmm. which is kind of creepy. If you've seen The Professional, but uh, that's when I realized that Luke Passan likes to cast in in the smaller parts just the ugliest motherfuckers you can find like that movie <laughs> is full of ugly ugly people so maybe this one will be too outside of uh, dane dehan and cara delavine how do you say it i think so i don't know she's not a very good actress but hey. no no she's really not but I, I don't think that's why they hire her i think she's kind of pretty that's why well she's a model remember. so I just remember her like laughing so hard at her like stupid dancing in uh, Suicide Squad. Do you remember that? Where she's like as the enchantress, like doing some weird like dance, and it's like a long shot, and you can see her dancing, and it just looks fucking ridiculous. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh fuck that movie. All right. Uh, so if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Is that right? Did I say that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook, Cinesnob Critic. Uh, got anything you want to pl- plug? Any upcoming screens there, Cody Bear? Uh, no, we just have Memento coming up on Monday. Uh, unfortunately, we were unable to get our 35-millimeter print. You son and- of a bitch. You teased that so hard, and then... I know. Well, we, it's, we had a pro. We thought we had it, and then at the last second, um, we we realized it, were, it was uncovered that the only available print would not play at Draft House. The current setup that Draft House has, so we had to Psst, nix digital it. Digital is better. Digital is way better. Yeah. Well, that's that's your thing, and and hopefully I'll I'll be reporting back you, about. You agree with, you agree with me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but uh, I'm I, I think I'm gonna go check out Jaws on the Water next week oh, or this cool. weekend. So a lot of lot of t- lot of fun there. Is that they're showing the? Have they moved on to the sequels now, or is it? That was this past weekend, so they're going back to the regular Jaws uh, over over the next weekend. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You'll be I'm right excited. From me, you you could come by and say hi. Uh, Ron Don Valente Beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get you get to keep your tube, by the way. Ooh! So I need a good tube. Hope you got a, a lot of room in your car. So, otherwise, you can sit there deflating it. But do they come preflated? <laughs> they do. Preinflated? They do. We didn't. Or am I, I going to have to fillet it? 
we <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> we didn't take ours because uh, we already had some, but um, yeah, you can take your tube home with you. I mean, I haven't used it outside of Jaws on the Water, but it's nice to know in case it floods. You know, when global warming comes, I'll be you'll be set, sit, sitting pretty. All right. Anything else before we go? Nope, that's it. All right, on that note, I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafrania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.